All right, here you go. This is going to be the long-awaited uh, theology ref series that we had talked about doing. Travis is here with us today. Hello, hello. And uh, these these theology ref. This is uh, this has been one that's that's taken us some time to get out. But uh, as we started kind of looking into it and started, um, Travis here chose the sermon that we will be doing. And breaking down, and as we both just kind of got into studying these and looking into these, this this got a lot deeper than what we originally attended. We thought it was going to be something kind of lighthearted, uh, but then as we started getting into it, it definitely got more and more serious and started to fill more of a pool to definitely um, uh, make people aware of these things. But I will go ahead and let Travis give you a little bit of background on on the sermon and why he chose it and and what we're going to be doing sounds awesome yeah it and honestly again with the seriousness you know we uh we had discussed um the idea of it almost like a like a comedy or mystery Mm -hmm. science theater 3000 where we're you know we're watching the sermon and kind of throwing flags and and again it's it's like wow you know people are really yeah drawn away by this there there's no discernment there's no discipleship Mm -hmm. Um, people don't understand the seriousness of this. So we were literally convicted, like, this isn't really funny now because souls matter. Um, so, yes. yeah. <laughs> and, Amen. you know, the, the idea is you, you must shepherd the flock. You must protect them from um, things like this, you know, new believers being tossed by every wind of doctrine. Right. We are called to test every spirit. We are called yep. to um, rightly divide the word of God. Amen. And let not everyone be teachers because their judgment is great. Amen. You know, so, um, and we, you know, we don't, we want to be fair to anybody that we do this. And this is more of an introduction to show you why we're doing this. Um, So, you know, both of us being local to, uh, you know, somewhat local to To Charlotte, um, you know, we thought it would be appropriate for uh, a big name preacher. His name is Stephen Furtick. (laughs) Yes, of Elevation Church. Uh, Even the Elevation Worship you'll hear on the radio Mm -hmm. comes from them. Um, they are a multi-site campus. I don't, I don't even know what, how many sites they're up to now. Even, uh, like in man. the 15 Well, they've even range. got one that they've even got international ones now. Wow. That's yeah. Um, so I think when I, so when we, my family attended, uh, when we first came out to Charlotte. So this is not coming from just simply an outsider. Uh, this is somebody who went, I went to four Sundays and by the fourth one, I was like, I cannot continue this. Um, just because of seriousness. So, to be fair, <clears throat> the one that I ended up selecting because I wanted to give, uh, you know, Furtick a chance to really, you know, a, a sermon that was focused upon Christ. Uh, if you look through a lot of the stuff that's posted for Elevation, everything is you, you, you. And this comes from the Savage Jesus yep. sermon series. So I thought, okay, if the focus is on Jesus, let me let me give him the best chance to, you know, give the gospel, to exalt Christ. But even in that, the sermon is called, You Must Be Important. <laughs> yeah. I, my laugh is, is, is a serious laugh. It's not a snickering laugh because it's amazing that we could talk, be talking about the gospel here and then we title the sermon, You Must Be Important. Right. And, and, and that's, so that's, that's why we wanted to use this as an example um, because many, many uh, pastors today when they preach, they feel like to draw in the masses, to keep them in, the focus has to be on the person. Yep. No, 
the person should be convicted and desire to see Christ exalted and just want to see Christ more. It is the role of the pastor to exalt Christ. That is the role of the Holy Spirit to exalt Christ, exalt the Father through all these things. Um, and so again, this is this is one that we had uh, discussed, and uh, we both listened through intently. And we'll probably do <clears throat> more of an in-depth one. Yes. Um, but we thought this would be a good example, sure. just to demonstrate. Kind of our, our, our focus. Yeah, definitely um, just a way of the of how these are going to roll and how we're going to do these. Um, if we figured that this would be a good introduction just to give you the, obviously, the pastor, the sermon, uh, where it's coming from, and just the reasons why we're doing this. Like, as Travis said, we're not trying to, we're not trying to pick on anybody here. Uh, that That's definitely not our goal. But our goal is, you know, we're, we're going at this in the... First Peter five three attitude of shepherding the flock, and there's there's serious serious errors in this teaching that can lead people uh, down down a path that is completely away from from Christ, and you have to be aware and discern these things and and be able to to divide these things and see these things so. As, as Travis and I both have seen these things, I mean, this is based off of our conversations, too, because we both back and forth going, I don't understand how a man of God can do this. I don't understand how a pastor could do this. Somebody that knows better, that, that and like I said, this isn't, we're talking about souls here. We're not talking about some little stupid theological disagreement that we have. You know, this, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, post-mill or pre-mill here. We're talking about serious, serious doctrine that... They can uh, affect your life, and and following these type of teachers can be literally deadly. Um, so I think even even though that sounds a little little harsh, uh, that's the seriousness of these type of things. So, and this and again, it goes back into uh, you know biblical hermeneutics. How are you how are you to read and understand scripture? Um, because as as you go through and like even uh, in this case uh, i can say from past experience oftentimes some of the sermons i had heard from Furtick before was more like let me select a verse let me pull out a word from the verse that is completely out of context and let me just simply preach on this word like power or strength sure. you know something like that and and there are still pre- preachers that do that i have seen though that he has kind of moved into a direction of well let me go through a passage now um so even even stuff like that you can say well oh yeah he's he's preaching through the bible he's reading from the bible and he's he's you know yeah uh, because i think these things so as we even discussed beforehand i mean he even says well you know i got to take you back to the previous and we'll listen to that but i got it or no we just went past it but there's a part in here that he says that oh listen i got to take you back to the first chapter to to or the chapter before to make you understand this one and and so he's he's saying things that sound good to you, that you know that that that's okay. He's preaching from the Bible. He's giving me. He's even giving me context here. And unfortunately, as as we go on throughout the series, we'll see that that's not what he's doing. I think we noticed uh, a pattern in in you were while you were trying to discern which one to do that we were trying to decide which one we were going to do. We both just kind of noticed the same 
pattern that he always goes with. And, you know, we'll point it out here or in the future episodes that we do on this one. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll naturally get into it. But he, um, he, you know, he, he does a lot of this, this um, getting this attention on you, you know, and the person uh, next to you for you to tell them something like they're worth something or that, you know, this is this is a pattern just to get you locked in to his type of teaching and where he leads you. And again, I think these types of things are just extremely dangerous because, I mean, that's that's how a lot of cults are started. I mean, once you're just reciting things that this man up there is saying to you that are meaningless. Right. And you're right. The pattern. And there's if, if you listen to a number of these these guys, in fact, if you just find any, you know, guest speaker um, that any guest speaker that has, you know, <clears throat> gone to elevation or even in other cases, other of these big name churches um, there, it, it's almost like it has to be a show. It right. really does. It's you got to involve the crowd. You have to. Uh, get them to say and do things to, sure. to get them engaged because somehow that makes this more spiritual. You have to um, uh, amp them up and shout louder and louder. And it, it, it's like, okay, are you getting amped because now your heart's beating faster? There's adrenaline the pumping adrenaline, because it's just, this is super hyper emotional. Um, or is it simply because now scripture is pouring through your mind and the Holy Spirit is demonstrating the light of this to you and you are, you know, just in awe of these things. Right. Um, there, there is a difference. And, you know, there, there's a pattern. There's even like a climax in many of these where towards the end for like 40 seconds, it's just practically screaming, people standing, shouting, you know, preach it, clapping. And I guarantee you this man probably battles with pride because it's almost <laughs> like that and many well, of these guys do. It's, it's a, he self-admittedly says that he has a lot of pride and he jokes and laughs about it. And so that's, I mean, that's another, that's another topic, I guess. But you're, I mean, yes, you are right. Um, you know, but I think there's a reason why these things look like a stand-up comedian show too. And you notice that? I mean, all these lights, the way that the pastors are dressed, the way they're going up and down the stage and even their movements, you know, like I was watching Judah Smith and that'll probably be another one in the future, but he, this the, the other day and he, and just the movements, you know, he's leaning into the crowd with his mic while he's preaching and he's sitting down in a chair and he's just getting the crowd so comfortable in this show, but it's all, it's the show pointing towards him and then you, you know, yourself. This is, um, I, I had mentioned it in one of our podcasts, but this is honestly, Levan Satanism repackaged because this is getting you to become an idol of yourself, to look how great you are, to build yourself up. You, you know, uh, you deserve the world and the world, you know, and, and, and all these things. And it's, it's just so very dangerous because um, it, 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 it goes all back to what you said with just pride is, is what it boils down to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, and then there's always these buzzwords. <clears throat> Because that's, that's also kind of where this stood out to me. Um, you know, okay, I, I selected a sermon in a series that I thought, okay, let me see if Christ is exalted in this. Right. Um, because, you know, and I, and I don't mean to elevate people like Paul Washer in this, because really it's just the Holy Spirit working through them. But sure. you can certainly see a difference when there is preaching that truly exalts Christ. Sure. It, it is amazing. And you're like, I, I, I want to know him more. Like, sure. And even these preachers will tell you, like, stop listening to me for me. Right. 
Um, but at the same time, you see the opposite in preachers like Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Where it is a show, you come for him, um, and that's it, it, it's a mess. So, uh, but like you were mentioning the buzzwords of these things. So first, the the, the mention of the sermon series is Savage Jesus. But look at the buzzword Savage. Okay, the the three definitions of the definition of the word savage is a person belonging to a primitive society. This doesn't sound like Jesus at all. Two, a brutal person. Or three, a rude or unmannerly person. Well, those are those are the nouns. What about adjectives? The nouns. Does it say that? Well, we have the nouns, the verbs, and so the adjectives. None of them are, are positive connotation. It's yep. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Barbarian, barbaric, barbarous, heathen, heathenish, natural, nathanderal, rude, uncivil, uncivilized, uncultivated, wild. Yeah, and oftentimes brought in as like the savage animal. So so again, it, this is one of those words, just like the song, you know, and I think you guys talked about this a while back, and it was such a big thing, you know, reckless love. Um I forget the guy who sings it, but it was, it, oh, so many people loved it, God, with reckless love. And, and I remember immediately being turned off and just going, whoa, whoa, whoa reckless. Yeah, like, that's yeah, that ridiculous. sounds cool, but God is never reckless. He is always with purpose. Always perfect, yeah. Yeah, and so there, there is a perfect love there, but I could not use that reckless in that sense. So going to savage, it's like, hey, it sounds cool. You want to you want to puff Jesus up in a sense, um, but the, uh, I can't get behind that. No, no, it's not. I see what I, I'm not trying to be super legalistic with the way he's using his terms there, but the way he says, you know, savage Jesus already is trying to. This is watering down the port because what he's doing is he's trying to make Jesus relatable to you, right? Because we, we use the word savage as like, you know, he's being, oh, he's being a savage, you know, which may or may not be true in certain cases, but that, that certainly doesn't define who Christ is. And we shouldn't, that shouldn't be the first thing that we do to drag him down to our level to make him relatable to us is to all of a sudden make him a savage Jesus. That's certainly not the type of description that we should give our Lord and Savior. But I think that that's, you know, that, that's your first flag is just on the name of the series is Savage Jesus. Because like, like I said, I get what he's doing, but what he is doing is watering it down. Right, and so, and here's, let me read an example. I'm going to read Revelation 1. Sure. Because there is a view of, of Jesus that you should have, especially right. in his exalted state. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, he's coming again in glory. Um, and when John sees him, it's, this is a terrifying view. This is not something where, you know, he's a wild animal. There's, right. There is meaning behind this, this right. vision, but... He is holy, and we instill in our sinful flesh are not. So I think of Jesus turning the tables. You know, like he wasn't being a savage and turning the tables. This was for this was for a purpose. I mean, he was literally fulfilling prophecy while he was doing such as well. So I mean, I, th- I think of the same thing. Is is that would be the type of way that you would cheapen Jesus down is to say, oh, you know, he's a savage when he went in there and just flipped the t- the tables for the temple, and it's like, okay, yeah, but no, but there's a serious 
purpose for this, and there was a serious offense in reasoning why he did this. Right, absolutely. So, there, so here's, a, here's a proper view sure. of Jesus right here. This is uh, Revelation 1, beginning verse 12. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and then behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The glorifying crown king. So, again, eyes of fire. You've got burnished bronze feet, mm-hmm. this glow, his face shining brighter than the sun. You know, that is a terrifying view, but that is an appropriate view. Right. Uh, and even Brandon had mentioned when we were discussing this earlier, like Isaiah, you know, <clears throat> the one who treads the winepress. Yep. When he comes in Revelation 19, his, his robe is dipped in blood. He is a warrior. Yep. Yeah. There should be a level of terror that should strike every heart of man. And so, but that's not savage. That is righteous and holy. No, yeah, and so we need terrible. to have a proper understanding of what that looks like and what that is not simply just some buzzword that people of the world would go oh yeah that sounds cool um i'm Mm -hmm. savage sometimes too like no that's not what this is getting at so again that that just points out one of the reasons why this stood out um and i know that's not even getting into the sermon (laughs) but um as i know but it's necessary to to set all this up because i mean it's like you said it's not like it's not, we don't take this lightly at all. We need to set this up. So I know this is uh, more of an introduction into the sermon. Um, and honestly, I'm literally transcribing nearly word for word. It is painful. Um, <laughs> he is. You should but, see his notes. They're great. <laughs> they're, they're beautiful people. But as I, as I go through it, and to give credit, and again, we'll get into this deeper in, a, in probably another one, um, is just that, you know, even at times where he is, you know, he'll puff up, not really puff up, but he'll... In a sense, exalt Christ. He'll give him credence for about 30 seconds, but he can't help but turn the focus on you and plug you into the story. And then the entire time becomes now you. You are in everything. So we wanted to, to give a, a clip here that actually just, I mean, it, it's night, clear as it's night and day. That he literally explains that he is going to make a passage that has nothing to do about you now be about you. <laughs> Because it preaches well. That is one of the big points that you'll see with a lot of these pastors is that they will, they will preach on something that really doesn't involve you, but because it sounds good and it preaches well, they're going to use it. So, so really reflect on what Travis just said right there because he literally admits that this is not about you, but he's going to make it about you. Red flag number two, <laughs> but one on this. So are we ready for the, you ready? Here we go. So if you will forgive me for my slight oversight, I'm going to do what I should have done before. I want to tell you about the storm that came before the miracle. 
this passage of scripture will preach all by itself because watch this. How many of you are going through a storm in your life today? Just raise your hand or somebody close to you is going through a storm. Raise your hand. Now see how easy it is to preach about storms. Did you see the high percentage of hands that went up except at Blakeney? They never raised their hands when I asked them to, but let me try this one more time. How many of you are going through a storm? You just came out of a storm or you know, there's probably a storm around the corner. Come on, be a meteorologist and touch your neighbor and say, there's a storm out on the ocean. So that passage or that, that section that we just heard was wow. basically beginning about minute 16 through the sermon. It's, I think it's like 46 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for about 40 seconds. Yeah, 48. But he literally admits, hey, the section that he's going to back up into Mark 4, 31 through 35, about the storm and Jesus and the apostles crossing, that is now about you. And because... You can relate to storms in your life. Let me let me relate everyone in this in this audience. Literally, like literally, your neighbor, somebody is gonna know someone who's going through a storm in their life. You know, it's it's ridiculous. But it that's is. that's what we noticed is even in a passage, yeah. or even a, a sermon that is meant to exalt Christ, he can't help but preach in a way where now you are the focus. And so that is kind of what, what we wanted to lead into. This is kind of why we're doing this type of theology refs, yeah. because that's dangerous. Extremely, yeah. extremely. This goes to anything that, that focuses back on yourself and not on Christ is, is a serious issue. It, it does, not, does not matter how this makes you feel. I mean, what he did right there, like you just said, this is a motivational uh, speech, right? Because everybody knows somebody that's been, that's going through a storm, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, you must be going, and he's going to, you know, this is, this is all this same pattern. And um, as we get even further into this, this was a perfect little clip that Travis chose to just, just uh, preview here why we're doing this, what this is all going to be about. And then literally he has the notes and we're going to take this down and we're going to break this down in, in future episodes here and go, uh, Travis has this minute by minute and he'll, um, we'll ha- even have his notes posted as a resource on the website eventually for this. Um, so, so we can go through it, but we have minute by minute breakdowns of this, this sermon and we will be playing the clips and then Travis and I will be uh, discussing the clips in between there. We promise we won't do minute by minute. <laughs> I think that would take us like 48 hours to, <laughs> right, right. to do, um, but we will, um, we will do it in, in chunks and summarize the chunks of it and go over it and point out scripturally why this is dangerous. So for a, for a technical term, um, because, you know, some of the people, yeah, some of the people that we recommend listening to, um, there, there's exegesis, if I say it right, exegesis, if I can say it right. (laughs) The big word. Literally, you know, the churchy words. Yeah. Out of the text is is what the term refers to. You are drawing the meaning from the text out of the text. And then through that, if you make application, it has to make sense if you plug it back in, um, eisegesis, where you are basically taking something outside the text, a meaning, a thought, and you're trying to force it into the text when it's not really there. 
So this is why this becomes dangerous because just as we saw, he literally admitted to doing eisegesis. He he is taking a thought of, well, I can relate to storms and, you know, and, and everybody can relate to a storm if I use that as just something bad in your life. Like, clearly. Yeah. Um, we're in a fallen world. Sure. You're going to have a bad day at some point in your lifetime. So do you, you want to say that's a storm? Yeah. So now plug yourself in. You're, you're an apostle crossing the lake with Jesus. Yeah. Like, but that's All not the sudden, point of the passage. And this even gets worse. We it know this. Does. It we does. We know this and, gets worse. And you will, you will find that somehow he will relate and plug you into the story as every single character. Oh. You think I'm joking? Yeah. Just wait till you hear mm. every single character. You, you, in fact, sections of the Bible that have nothing to even related to the story <laughs> is going to be brought in, and you are going to be plugged in as that so and so. It's like, come on! But it, again, it's to make a point, and this is this is the problem. So, pastors like this, they they want to say they're teaching through the Bible, and people who don't understand how to discern these things, they're going to hear that. No, I don't. Well, yeah, it sounds right. Sure, yeah. the storm. Yeah, but that's not the point. No, no. and this makes this a false teaching. Um, I don't. You know, we don't take calling out these kinds of things lightly. I don't. Neither one of us are, are questioning anybody's salvation. We're not questioning anything like this. But this is a false teaching, and this is this is. Well, we're the goal here is to point out what the dangers of this teaching are and not to point direct fingers. But, um, yeah, like Travis said, this eisegesis, this I, I, I is a huge problem. And this is, this is something that we've seen come throughout the ministry recently. Um, I, I had said to Travis the other day, I was like, you know, if you ever want to know what's wrong theologically, you know, in the church, just post something on social media that's truth, theologically true, and then watch the, the response that you get off of it. And in in doing that, you you see the response is so focused towards this type of I, I, I teaching because people's biblical understanding comes from this type of eisegesis of Scripture, is what they do. They turn this and they make it to about them and they turn these blessings into this it's it's a it's a version of prosperity gospel. Even though it doesn't sound like it, it, it it's a it's a offshoot of prosperity gospel because he's gonna get you through the storm and you've been through the storm and now you are the hero in this. And and that's that's the problem. So Right. And it and it takes away from the glory of Christ. Right. It really does. And and we want to be fair. So yep. that's why I'm painstakingly, and it's not even minute by minute. I literally have seconds marked yeah, down. Okay. <laughs> I've written down almost exactly word by word by hand. Um, just the first 20 minutes took almost two hours. Just because, and there's times where I'll stop and listen. Did I hear that right? I want to make it fair. And to be honest, not everything these guys say is wrong. No. Because that's that's the point, is if if everything was just absolutely wrong, it would stand out like a sore thumb. People would be like, ah, no, this, this guy's not really a Christian. But that's where it's super dangerous because, as you know, Satan, himself, even when he quotes from Scripture, slightly twists it. Like in uh, Matthew 4, uh, when he quotes, I think it's from Psalm 91, if I'm not mistaken, he literally leaves out yes, a sentence yep. to change the meaning of the verse. Yep. And, of course, Christ knows better. 
and he understands all these things. But, with this you know, you, you have to see this. And this is what, it may be innocent in a sense, you know, Furtick is just trying to use this to amp up the crowd, to make people relate, to, to make them feel better, um, because that's what brings in the masses. But where then it goes, this type of eisegesis, that's also how cults are formed. That's how people take verses, apply a meaning exactly. that if you plug in the verse, cannot mean that. And yet that is what a lot of these guys do. So we have to point that out. Right. We have to say, no, no, that's not really right. And listen, you, even the best of teachers can, can do this at times. Oh, sure. You have to check anybody you listen to, test the sure. spirit. And you will catch times where you go, yeah, that's, that doesn't sound right. Um, because if you go out, you proclaim Christ. Uh, and this comes more from just you know my 50 plus hours of speaking to um, J.W. Elder. Sure. And just hearing some of the craziness where verses that we would find to be um, to mean one thing and to be accurate, they can so easily twist to make a whole point. And then it's just like, yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why like people say, well, that's your interpretation. Yeah. Because all they understand or have ever heard of is eisegesis. Eisegesis. Literally people are forcing something upon the text that is not actually there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was a this was just simply a good example to show. Hey, even in this sermon, this Savage Jesus series, where yes, the title did draw me to it. You must be important, and again, we'll go through it in detail later. But just the idea that um, even something that's supposed to exalt Christ was twisted and used to preach well and plug people in when it has no nothing to you, and that's it. It is not about you. Sure. It's about Christ. And let's, and and we have to keep, the other thing that we have to keep in light here before everybody gets all fired up and worried is every single one of the New Testament epistles speaks of false teachers and gives us instructions. And Paul tells us that they're going to come from within the church. Okay. They're going to be wolf in sheep's clothing. They are not going to spare the flock. Okay. A lot of these things. Yes, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you know what that means? That means that he's coming to you and you're not you you can't see it because it sounds good. It is good. He's quoting scripture. Like you said, he changes one word to change the whole meaning of the text. That's exactly what these preachers are doing when they do these types of things. They're doing the exact same thing that Satan did. And what these preachers are doing are nothing but identifying themselves all throughout the epistles. This is one thing. Jude wasted his whole letter on warning Christians about the dangers of false teaching. I mean, we see it in in Timothy. We see it in Peter. We see it all over the place, the dangers of this. So some some of these people have to fit the bill, and it's not always, you know, the the ones that are just not obvious, you know, obviously not Christian, you know, like we always just think this applies to, okay, well, this has got to be the JWs or the Mormons or something like that. There's no way that this could apply to evangelical Christianity. And then Stephen Furtick says, hold on, hang my, hold my drink. So... Well, you know, that, that, that's one thing that's very, very important. This is all in light of, of just identifying these things, calling these things out scripturally like we are instructed to, and being diligent in doing so. Well, and, and one thing, just to, before we end, just to kind of point out as a generality, <clears throat> another pattern that you will find is that a lot of these pastors and preachers speak very well. 
Yeah. You got to give them credit. They're oh, yeah. Charismatic. They're not, not theologically. Well, some are. But just the idea that, you know, there's a lot of energy. They, they can, sure. they, you know, they, they know how to play the crowd, to amp the crowd up. Uh, and in fact, in my notes, I literally tagged certain sections amp because that's when the, the you know, volume goes from 5 to 12 and he's just screaming in the mic and people are standing up and, and clapping like crazy. And it's just like, but who are they clapping for? Rock stars that these people Rock have built stars. up. Absolutely. And so I, I wanted to give some scripture that compares sure. because even Paul dealt with this. Yep. Uh, you know, even his, his second Corinthians, where we talked about the super apostles. Yep. You know, you got to realize that um, <clears throat> speech then too was important and it could easily, as it is like tickle ears, you know, People hear this, oh, these are great speakers. And Paul says, I'm not like that. Right. So, And like you said, too, so, I mean, setting that point up real quick, we think we're so far removed. But in the first century, this was something that ha- that occurred very, very popular. There were great Greek speakers that would go around to these these big arenas that they had, just like we do today, and give these, these, these speeches and these motivational, just like we have today. So there's no, there's no difference in that. But scriptural, back and go ahead, Travis. Yep, so this is uh, reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> and again, now this is just in perspective of Paul, because I don't want to yep. rip it out of context no, and just be no, like, no. Uh, this is what we're doing. Um, but just so you understand, because the, you, you will hear a difference in certain pastors and preachers, you know, many of whom we recommend, just that there is such a difference. If they're getting heated up, it's out of conviction and you don't have people clapping. And in fact, I think at one point, Paul Washer says, stop clapping. Um, yep. and, and in one of his sermons, he goes, I don't want to hear your hallelujahs and amens because that takes away from Christ and the point that I'm driving home. It, it, as opposed to Furtick, who literally had a hallelujah chorus. And I guarantee yep. you, those in the front row in the video and stuff, I, it, I guarantee it. They are told, I want you to stand up at certain points. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So here is First Corinthians 2. Uh, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, speaking of worldly wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Opposite of what we see, right? And, in, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. There's a difference between amping up mm-hmm. someone, puffing them up, their egos, um, it, you know, again, persuasive words. Yeah, because you'll hear buzzwords again. That's kind of where it comes in. These words that, that connect to the community, but that's not, uh, it's empty. When I hear stuff like that, I go, no, no, I want the truth. I want, you, I want a real word that demonstrates who Christ is, who God is. Talk about holiness. Right, Talk right, about, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not savage. Give yeah. me, yeah, give Maybe. me what the church. Yeah, but this, and again, demonstration of the spirit, that's not, that's a spirit. I have, yep. to, I have to warn. In many cases, this, that's a spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. Nope, um, it is a spirit. Yeah, so. Teachings of demons. What do you, I mean, that's what these things are. Right. Yeah. You you think it, it it's just going to stand out as an opposite. Right. But no, no. It's it's going to draw you away. This this takes away from the glory of Christ. Yeah. No. Because you have to understand that usually when Paul is writing, he is writing to the church and explaining to Christians and believers that this will come from within. Your enemy's not from out in the world. Yes, we know how the world operates. 
But this that's trying to destroy you, this is the, the main heresy from these teachings is going to come from within. Right, and there's, you know, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And yet, you know, here, it's almost assumed in these congregations that hear this, that are fl- that flock to it in thousands. I mean, elevation, I think, is hitting easily 20,000 now. Well, yeah, and I mean, we have places. over a million subscribers on YouTube, and, and you had pointed out in your thing that this has over 860,000 views on this. Right, and, and this, this is, is and this is around the world, too. This is, uh, like, right. if you just read the comments, there are people from Africa. All around the world. There's people I mean, there's 15,000 comments on the video, or 15,000 likes. Yeah. 18,000. Yeah. I mean, so scary. again, it's dangerous, but, you know, so that's... That is why we're going to do this, this series. We do it with seriousness. We do it really, we want to do it with a sense of humility. Yep. Um, because we want to warn you. We want to help those who go, I, I don't get it. I, this, this sounds great. And, and you, know, you know what? You know, maybe there is something here that I'm, I missed before. Why is the focus on me? Why do I keep getting plugged in? Things like that. So, This, uh, this is safeguarding the faith that was delivered to the saints because this faith is a holy faith and this is not to meant to be you know, I, I brought it up a few days ago with paul washer and the um the bride of christ you know how what the church has done to the bride of christ he dressed her up like a prostitute and just braided her through the streets oh yes you yeah. know i mean that well i mean that got me again that just got yeah. me almost just like Oh and, though, and those who are wondering, like, well, where, where is that? That's his uh, 10 indictments. Yes, 10 indictments. It's literally yeah. a two-hour sermon. It's, and it's, that it's a great it, sermon. It convicts you. Oh, yeah. But it does. It points out all the issues. And this was actually preached like 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah again, an older it, one. And to, to hit on what you were saying, yeah, that I forget the point. It's like around the 18th minute of that sermon. Mm-hmm. But he literally says people like that um, yeah. are, the, you know, the king steps away. He gives you specific rules yep. on how to dress and to take care of his bride. Yep. And yet, because people are just not drawn to the bride when the king's away, the guy gets the idea, well, let me take off her white robes, her purity. Yep. Let me dress her up like a whore and draw in the masses. Yep. And they're going to come in and they're going to be drawn to this. But you're literally drawing the world with worldly things. That you, when you hear these sermons, that's what it is. It's drawing the world with worldly things. They're, they're, they're coming because not because they sought Christ, but because they sought the benefits of Christ. Yep. Um, that's dangerous. And so even as Paul Washer finishes, he takes very seriously that. He goes, what do you think that king's going to do when he comes back? He will kill you. Yep. You will be severely judged. Because in places like this, you will find there might be the bride of Christ in there. But they are literally starving because they're not being fed. Yep. These sermons are not feeding it. This is not about discipleship. And honestly, I, don't, I, I can't speak on his current view because, again, just like in this case, to give Furtick credit, you know, he has seemed to go at least into more passages. I, I've, a couple of sermons I listened to, to to try and pick out one, he was, you know, he'll actually preach through a whole chapter. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, that's way different from the, the time, you know, seven, eight years ago. But even then, it's, it's, it's not, the focus is off Christ. You, yeah. you can't keep it on. So. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this, so the, I mean, that's what, that's what we're doing here. We're defending all this and we are attempting to put the robes back on the bride. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I think that'll, uh, that'll wrap up our first theology refs introduction. 
And I promise you we will be back with this, this sermon broken down with Travis's notes and my notes, and we'll dive into it.